Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Mark chapter 9 opens up with this, with this interesting thing that happens called the Mount, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus goes up uh, to the mountain, and we're not going to really get into it a, a lot of times, but basically, you, or, or a lot of content today, but, but really there, there are, are three times in Jesus's life and ministry that, that everybody hears the audible voice of God. It's not like, hey, God spoke to me. It's like it was clear that God was speaking. It was loud. Once was in his baptism. Another is in John chapter 12. And then the other is here on Mount Transfiguration. And so what's happening is Jesus is on the mountain with just three of his disciples. It wasn't for everybody. It was just for his inner guys, his three guys, Peter, James, and John, who seemed to always be there. Come on. You know what I'm finding? I'm finding if I'll just stay close to Jesus, I'll get to experience the best moments, right? And so I'm going to make sure that I'm there. Wherever the Lord is, I'm going to be there. And so here they are, man. They're making sure that they don't miss out on anything. And they are here on this mountain and Jesus is what we call transfigured. So what happens is his clothes, is just as his clothes were whiter than anyone could bleach. And there's like this light emanating from him. So it's kind of like the, the, what Jesus is now in heaven, where the, where the scriptures say that you can't even really look at him, but that he looks like a thousand suns. Like he's, he's, you can see his eyes because his eyes are brighter than his face. Like he's just, he's just beaming this light glory. It's almost like they get a glimpse of who Jesus is now. And it's like the, the father peels back and shows the fullness of Jesus's glory. And so it's, but it's not just Jesus. So when this is peeled back, there's also Moses there and Elijah. And so well, that's strange. Why are they there? I mean, aren't they dead? Aren't we like not supposed to interact with dead people? But you got to understand something. When Jesus is standing there, he is standing among the greatest prophet. Elijah represents the prophets. And he's there with Moses who represents the old covenant, who represents the law. And so what's there is Jesus is there. We know that Jesus was, was coming to fulfill what? The law and the prophets. So this is who's on the mountain with him. Jesus radiating glory, the law and the prophets. And this is what the father says. This is my son. Listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him. You've heard from Moses. Come on. You've heard from Moses. You've heard the commands that were given on the mountain. Come on. You've heard from the prophets. The prophets spoke. What were those things in place for? For one purpose. The law and the prophets was for one purpose. To set the table for Jesus. And Jesus shows up on the table and the father goes, it's time. I want you to listen to him. He's my son. He's got the good news. He's got the good, good news. Listen to him. So they're having this crazy moment. I would, I would love to just preach on that all morning, but, but we're not going to. And so as we continue in the story, we could. We could just preach a whole message right there. But I feel like that I, I want to cover the whole chapter. Is that okay if we just cover the whole chapter? I'll try to get, out, get you out of here by 2 o'clock. And it says this in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. It says, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. How many know that when God's moving, a crowd will show up, right? And scribes arguing with them. That's not fun. And immediately, there it is again. Immediately, all the crowd 
when they saw him, were greatly amazed. Come on, how many know that when you get a glimpse of Jesus, you will be greatly amazed? And they ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son. I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. I mean, this is kind of y'all's reputation. Y'all been casting out demons. Y'all been going down the line. It wasn't just Jesus casting out demons at this point. It was actually the disciples were doing it also. They were also healing the sick by this point. Remember when he sends them out? The two by two. I asked your disciples to cast them out, and they were not able. And he answered them. (laughs) Here we go. Man, Jesus is getting pretty intense. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Other words, you can't get the job done. I'll take care of it. How many of you have ever been that? that situation before if you've ever been in a management position or a leadership position you've tried to teach people what to do they're just not getting in you go forget it i'll do it right this is what jesus is saying (laughs) good good model for us jesus on how to do leadership (laughs) sometimes i'm like jesus like this (laughs) some of you are like yeah we know (laughs) well there it is this is my justification for it (laughs) just trying to be like the lord So I want you to understand something. This moment, there's a lot of things happening. The environment is crazy. First of all, there's this drama, right? There's this arguing between the disciples and the people, and the the scribes are there. They're making accusations, like always. There's just this argument going on. There's even argument happening among the disciples. I would say it was the not the disciples that were with Jesus. They were coming down with Jesus, and they come into this environment of, of drama. Just a lot of drama. Then, then we, we see that there's demons showing up. Listen, we, we've been talking about this a lot. This is the theme through the book of Mark. We see a lot of demons. Why? Because when Jesus shows up, demons manifest. We, we, we tend to think, you know what? When Jesus shows up, it's just all going to be peaceful and quiet. And he's just going to sit and he's going to come in riding on a unicorn, right? And he's going to come in on his little unicorn and be like, oh, peace to you. And everything's just going to be settled. No, that's not the way it works. When Jesus shows up, demons manifest. But they don't just manifest, they bow. Come on. So there's drama, there's demons, and then there's disappointment. There's disappointment. There's disappointment. From, from this man who has a son that is being tormented and there's no power to deal with the son. He's disappointed. There's disappointed from, from the disciples. Disappointment because they're going, man, we've been doing what you told us to do, Jesus, and the demon isn't coming out. They're disappointed. And there's disappointment from Jesus. I mean, who wants to disappoint the Lord? None of us do. But there's just this whole environment of drama, demons, and disappointment. How many of you have been there? Come on. This week, we hate disappointment. It's hard. And that is the environment that we see this in. And so Jesus makes this statement, oh, faithless generation. <laughs> Lord, if we weren't discouraged enough. Come on, Jesus, could you bring the soft word? I just need some encouragement. And he's saying, I am encouraging you. 
Sometimes encouragement doesn't always come in the package that we prefer. Sometimes you just got to eat whatever the Lord provides. And sometimes it's a word that stings a little. Come on. So what I want to do today is I want to take this sandwich that I'm making. Let's see if this works. I'm taking this sandwich. I'm taking the bread off so we can add some stuff to, to the sandwich. All right. So I, I want you to pause in this story and, and I want to continue on throughout the book of Mark. I know it's a little different than what we normally do, but, but I, I want you to understand there is a trend happening with the disciples throughout this entire cha- chapter. And so our headline today is the disciples dilemma, the disciples dilemma. That's our headline today. The first dilemma is this, is they were, they were powerless. They were powerless. They were not functioning in power. In fact, at the end of this story, in verse 28 and 29, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Other words, why are we powerless? And he said to them, this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, some translations say have added in prayer and fasting. And there are some other accounts in Scripture that talk about that. But the reason why they were powerless is because they were prayerless. And some of you are asking God to sovereignly move. And he's going, I want you to pray. Why am I not seeing the power of God in my life? How much time are you spending praying? I know you spend a lot of time on Facebook complaining about your situation, but how much time have you spent praying about it? Because if you pray about it, you might have the power to overcome it. See, you are only as powerful as your prayer life. Notice I didn't say as powerful as your faith life. Notice I didn't say as as, as powerful as your work ethic. No, no, no. You are only as powerful as your prayer life. And if you, beloved, do not learn to find God in the place of prayer where it's boring and slow and monotonous and daily and grinding, if you don't learn to find God in that place, don't expect to see him move in the marketplace or in your home or even your church. I'm telling you, it troubles me. If I can just speak as your pastor, it troubles me that a handful show up to pray on a Saturday night. It troubles me. We want to see more miracles. We want to see re- revival, but we don't want to pray. And beloved, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. God don't move unless we're connected to him. Prayer, prayer is the place where faith is charged. It's like if you're walking around with a Without plugging in your cell phone, it's going to run out of juice eventually. I don't care what model you have. Eventually, that battery is going to drain. And so we see even Jesus, even Jesus with all the authority. How much authority did he have? He had all of it. Jesus had all the authority, but guess what he did? He went away and he plugged in. He went away and he recharged with the Father. We see this time and time again. But these disciples weren't doing that. This one only comes out. Some Miracles only happen when you devote yourself to prayer. And some of us will complain about our miracle and complain about our miracle and explain away our miracle and go see doctors and have excuses and write blogs and explain it away in our personality, our temperament, and all these kinds of stuff. We'll explain it all away, but we won't pray. What if I told you that might not change unless you learn to pray about it? There are some, listen, according to this scripture, according to what God says, there are some things that won't change unless we learn to pray. It's a dilemma. So we're powerless because we're prayerless. The second thing about the disciples is that they were promotion conscious. 
So they're arguing. Check this out. Now, now, now remember, do you remember last week? <laughs> I feel like I'm bringing all these hard words. I'm just sharing the truth. Do you remember last week when Jesus was talking about, like, denying yourself? He's like, the Son of Man's going to come, and, you know, he, the Son of Man came to give, him, give himself and all this kind of stuff, and Peter rebukes him because Jesus said he's going to die. Remember, and then Jesus rebuked Peter and called him the devil. Remember that we talked about that last week. You can catch it on the podcast. So they, they just, he just said all that, like, days ago, talking about denying themselves. And look at this conversation in verse 31. They're still thinking about promotion. <laughs> For as he is teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he was saying. (laughs) I kind of wonder at this point if they're just trying not to understand what he's saying. I think they're trying, because it says, if you guys remember last week, it says that Jesus told them plainly. And they were afraid to ask. I mean, at this point, like, the tension is rising, and they're, like, walking on eggshells of Jesus because he's rebuked them several times. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're kind of like, okay, Lord, here we are. We're still here, but we're, we're like, concerned. <laughs> right? Listen, the main mission of the gospel is death and resurrection. It's the mission. It's not prosperity and happiness. It's death and resurrection. And listen, that resurrected life is way better than the old life. But it's what the gospel is. It's death. It's down to yourself and being raised in Christ. It's the gospel. Death and resurrection. And they were missing it. So he says this. When they came to Capernaum and he was in the house with them, he said, what were you discussing along the way? So they're walking. They're, they're kind of, there's some tension there. What were you discussing along the way? But they kept silent. <laughs> it's wisdom. Sometimes it's just good not to talk, right? On Transfiguration there on the, on the mountain, Peter's like opening up his mouth. He said he didn't know what to say. And he said, listen, if you don't know what to say, don't say anything. <laughs> Josh Brown, okay? Some of us like extroverts are like we, we, we talk before we think. This is not really good. But they were thinking here. So they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. They were promotion conscious. And he sat down and called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. You want to be first? Get at the back of the line. You want to be great? Become a servant. And then he takes this child and he says, a child in his lap. And he says, the kingdom is like this. You got to be like a child. You got to be like someone who is starting all over to come into the kingdom. And he's not just talking about being born again. He's talking about the posture of children to where they haven't learned to be self-promoting yet. Listen, you've probably heard this before. If serving is below you, then leading is above you. Some of you want influence. Some of y'all want to be promoted at work. That's all you're thinking about. God's saying, how low will you go? How low are you willing to go? Right? But that's not what we... That's not what we teach in America, right? That's not the American dream. (laughs) But I can tell you it is the dream of the kingdom. The dream of the kingdom is to see how low I can go. Because what we learn is James chapter 4 verse 10 says that if we will humble ourselves before the Lord, he will exalt us. Because all the, listen, all the promotion that you can levy for yourself, that you can, manipulate for yourself, all that promotion 
dies when you die. But if God's promoting you, come on, it's eternal promotion. It doesn't end. Listen, it's God's job to promote. We, in this social media age, we are so caught up in self-promotion. Right? Aren't we? We, and I say we because I, I'm, I could be the same way. Right? It's all about, you know, people liking my, my posts, my selfies. Some of y'all have done the wise thing and just checked out all of it. Right? It's, it's how, much, how much attention can I draw to myself? How many can I, people can I get to like me? That, and, and I can tell you today, that, that comes with a cost. Because if you live or die by their applause, you're going to live or die by their criticism. And that's not fun. Listen, it is exhausting. Self-promotion is exhausting. Because at the end of the day, it's done. And you have to do it again tomorrow to sustain it. It's so hard. Listen, it's God's job to promote. It's God's job to promote. It's our job to give ourselves fully to whatever he places in our hands. What is your job? Is your job to, to, to climb the corporate ladder? That's not your job. It's God's job to promote you. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter if you're in ministry. It doesn't matter if you work at McDonald's. It doesn't matter if you work for the city on doing plumbing work. It doesn't matter what it is. Listen, your job is to give your very best. Not somebody else's best. Not what you think the world is. The very best you. So my job, listen, my job is to bring the very best Josh Brown to whatever God puts in my hands. And I do. And I stress out about it. And I worry about it. And I frustrate it. Why? Because I want self-promotion? No, because God gave it to me. And if God gave it to me to steward, then I better do my very best at it. But some of us say, well, when I get promoted, I'll do a good job. Well, you're caught up in this cycle. It's really self-promotion. Because you're thinking, I deserve something. I deserve something. And God's saying, well, you go low. So this self-promotion culture is, is so broken. What, what if the greatest thing that you could ever do is provide a boost for others? What if your boss brings you in this week and it's you and the other person, you have the same tenure at the job, they're, they're just as hard, you're equal employees, like completely across the board. And he comes in and he asks you, who should I give the promotion to? What is your answer? Most of us go, well, I think you should give it to me because that's what the leadership book said. I should be confident. Or we say, you know what, let me give you a little boost. Let me help you get up. I found that if we will humble ourselves, God will do the exalting. See, I want to spend, I want to spend the rest of my life promoting other people. That is, that is really my goal. My goal as a pastor is not to do the ministry, it's to equip the saints for ministry. So my job on Sunday is really just to give you tools to empower you so you can go out and do the ministry. That's my job. You're actually, you're actually on the front lines. I'm just going, here you go. Here's a sword. <laughs> here you go. Here's a verse. Maybe you've never heard it this way. Maybe I can get you to think a little different. That's my job. That's my role. And so I want to spend the rest of my life just investing in people so they can fulfill the dream of God. Y'all okay? So next week we'll talk a little bit about ambition. Number three, so they're promotion conscious. They're powerless, 
And the third thing is they were partial. And by that, I mean they were tribal. Right? How many of you are partial to a certain group of people? Right? You're tribal. Right? I go to Overflow Church. You go to such, you go to Gateway, whatever, wherever you go. And so we have this kind of tribal thing. Come on, I do it. This tribal thing that, think, that thinks that if I celebrate what God is doing somewhere else, then what I'm kind of doing a little bit is, is, I'm, is I'm excluded. I'm keeping God from moving here. It's like we think God is so little, we can't celebrate what, somebody else, what God is doing in somebody else in a different tribe than we're in. And then we get into the self-promotion thing. So if you're in a denomination, what ends up happening? You end up saying, well, the other denominations, they're just not as awesome. Well, you just don't understand. You didn't go through this program. You're not, you don't believe this doctrine. And listen, we're not just talking about politics. I mean, that's, that's a whole other conversation where we're way too tribal on. But I'm talking about we do it in church. Well, I go to the Bailey's group. I don't think that we have that. We better not. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Listen, they were elitist and intolerant of those outside of their circle. How do you act towards people that aren't in your circle? Are you tribal? No, I'm not tribal. Yes, you are. If you treat people outside of your circle different than you do the people in your circle, then you're being tribal. So this is what happens. So there's miracles. God's moving all over the earth, and this is what happens. John said to him, Verse 38, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him <laughs> because he was not following us. But Jesus said, don't stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. Now, there's another time where Jesus says actually the opposite. If they're not for us, they're against us. But he's not talking about exalting the name of Jesus. Now, I'm talking about the biblical Jesus because there are some circles out there, it's a different Jesus. Let's just, let's just be real. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about somebody that's across town, that they're sound, that they're saved, that they're in, they're in the kingdom of God. Are you celebrating or are you tribal because it's not part of your group? And so I had this thing happen to me. I went to Odessa Community College for a year. O.C., Back in 94, went to OC, OC, Odessa College, Odessa Community College. And, dude, I was serving the Lord for like a year. I'm like a year in. And so I was like, man, what classes? All I was thinking about was ministry. I didn't want to do anything but ministry. So all the classes, I was like, they had a Bible class. I took the Bible class. I had to take the math class. Flunked it. And then I had, like, I think an English class. And then I did like a history class. And then I did a psychology class. I was like, psychology, man, oh, that'll be interesting. We'll have some great conversations in there. And so they have this project that we're going to do in psychology class. And the class is going to be on, they're like, whatever your project is, you're just talking about a, a psychological thing that happens to society when, when th- certain things happen. So, so I decided to talk about how different the culture was because prayer was taken out of school. That was my project. So I'm like, well, this is a chance to advance the gospel. Let's do it. And so... I'm in there, and we, people are talking about the projects. What are you going to do? And so there was this guy, and he goes, oh, you're a Christian. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. He's like, he's like well, where do you go to church? I said, I go to Faith Tabernacle Assembly of God. That's a long, that's a mouthful. I was like, where do you go? He's like, First Baptist. And he says this. He goes, 
What do you believe? Do you believe people can lose their salvation? That was the first question he asked me. I was like, whoa, whoa, bro. Like, we're just like, we're going to get right there, right? Do you believe in eternal security? I was like, do you believe in speaking in tongues? Like, it was, it was like one of those kind of like conversations. Like, let's find out what we don't agree with so we can be more tribal. And I remember just being so disturbed. And I, and I asked the guy, I was like, why does that matter? Like, we're in a room full of lost people, and you're worried about my my soteriology. You're worried about my the doctrine of salvation. Like, it, can you lose it? I'm not going to talk about that today. It's not really that important. I'm just concerned if you have it. <laughs> so we, get, we just get tribal. And I remember having this bad attitude towards this guy. Like, I mean, I didn't mistreat him, but I was just remember thinking, <laughs> Why? Because I was just being very tribal. Instead of thinking, you know, we're in the kingdom. We believe a little bit different about some things. And, you know, if we sat down and actually had a conversation, we probably would believe the same things. But we just needed to have a conversation about it. But instead, we wanted to point at the things that divide us. It's being tribal. And this was hindering the disciples. Because they're like, they're getting people. God's moving. They're like, they're doing something the disciples couldn't do. They're driving out demons. Maybe they were bothered with jealousy. Listen, it is a spirit of poverty because there's other, listen, there's been other movements in our city, in, our, in the DFW area, and I'm like, Ugh. it's like, if I'm being honest, sometimes in my heart, I find myself struggling with wanting to rejoice with what God's doing there because that isn't happening here. I'm just being real. And I, and I remember kind of like not liking certain movements and having like a bad taste in my mouth. You know what I had to learn to do? I had to learn to just love it and celebrate what God's doing there. Because I, I, I'm learning to celebrate what I want when it's in others. And then I have victory. Then I'm like, that's awesome what God's doing. Then, then not only that, I can actually receive. When I've honored them, I can actually receive the gift that God has given them. So now some of these ministries that, you know, four years ago that I was frustrated about, Pastor Nathan and I have had these conversations that I used to kind of be bothered by and like pick about little things that I didn't like. Now I'm like, oh, I love it. Minister to me. Why? Because I've just learned to honor what God was doing to someone else and not being so tribal. Listen, and we get tribal about all kinds of stuff. We get tribal about church stuff. We get tribal about politics and, and law reform and all this kind of stuff. We somehow think, listen, we have this broken mindset that thinks if, if some kind of law or some kind of person is in charge, that it, that it will unite the church. I mean, we've got 12 disciples, 12 of them, just 12, that can't get on the same page, and they're with Jesus every single day. You know what it took to unite them? It took them going into this room called prayer, the upper room, and they got into this room, and they started praying, and then you know what happened? The power of God fell. Pentecost happened, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the only thing that is going to unite the church is a Holy Ghost outpouring. It's not going to be because we voted the same way. It's not going to be because, because we're doing things this way and they're doing this way. It's going to be because we get filled with the Holy Ghost. Beloved, I want a Holy Ghost outpouring that says that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men are going to dream dreams. Your young men are going to have vision. It's going to be amazing. Why? Because we got on the same page doctrinally. No, because he poured out the Holy Ghost. And we said yes to it. That's what I want. 
Y'all okay? So, they were powerless. They were promotion conscious. They were tribal, partial. Tribal, I try to keep the P there. That's the reason why I use the word partial. Just so you know, I'm a preacher. I struggle with those things. And number four, they lacked pruning. They lacked pruning. And Jesus told them in John chapter 15, he said, he said listen, my affirmation towards you is that I'm going to prune you. Those I love, I'm going to trim it back. And this is, we're so weird. If you love me, you wouldn't correct me. No, actually, it's correction's no fun. And so we get insulted when we're corrected, right? And the Lord's saying, that's my affirmation towards you. Y'all okay? All right. So they like pruning. Check us out. This is kind of the end of the chapter. And then we're going to go back to the story. Y'all all right? Verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin. Now he's talking to the disciples. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Be pruned. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell. To the unquenchable fire. Yes, Jesus talked about hell. An unquenchable hell. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. This is how serious Jesus is about hell. Cut your foot off if it causes you to sin. If your foot is taking you places you shouldn't go, cut your foot off. For it's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. If you can't quit looking at pornography, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Whoa. Scary. What's he saying? I want you to be pruned. I want you fully in. Do I, do I literally want you to go pluck your eye out? No. I'm just telling you it's better for you to not have eyes and look at that garbage than to go to hell. He's serious. Dang, Jesus. All right. So the disciples show up. They're missing limbs and eyeballs. <laughs> I think they probably got the point. Finally. We'll continue next week on that. So Jesus, let's go back to our story. So these are the issues, man. It's not just they couldn't cast the demon out. They're dealing with all kinds of struggles. All kinds of stuff. Let's look back at the narrative. So Jesus says, bring the boy to me. And they bring the boy. Let me help you. And when the Spirit saw him, not the Holy Spirit, <laughs> immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell down on the ground, and he rolled about, foaming out the mouth. This is, yeah, that scary movie. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. His whole life. He's been suffering like this. And he often casts himself into a fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Lord, I don't want my son to suffer anymore. If you, if you can help us, if you send a little love our way, Jesus said to him, if you can, 
All things are possible for one who believes and immediately, there it is, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but I got a lot of unbelief. And Jesus says, I can work with that belief. Even in the midst of unbelief, I can work with it. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running, running, came together and running, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out, come on, and after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. Come on, death and resurrection. So that most of them said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said, because you don't pray. Because you don't pray. This kind can only be driven out by prayer. So these dilemmas that the disciples are dealing with, that even the Father is dealing with, these dilemmas need interventions. Some of you have some dilemmas in your life right now that you're struggling with. And what do you need? You need an intervention. You need to encounter an intervention. How do you encounter an intervention? We have a model right here. First of all, you ask. You just ask the Lord. Have you asked the Lord yet? Have you asked him? Because so, sometimes we, we think there's something spiritual. Where do, we, where do we do this? We think there's something that's spiritual about me suffering and not asking the Lord to deliver us. In fact, I've seen more people place more emphasis on suffering than healing. And last I checked, Jesus paid a price for your healing. doesn't mean that you get to escape all suffering. You're going to suffer. But will you ask? Will you ask the Lord to deliver? Will you ask the Lord to move? Listen, just like this man was before Jesus, don't ask God if he can. Ask him if he will. Ask him if he will. Ask him if he will. Lord, would you move in my life today? Don't ask him if he can because he can because there's nothing impossible for him. See, your circumstance is not off the table. I don't know how many times you prayed about it. I don't know how many times you've declared. I don't know how many years you suffered. I don't know. Maybe it's been your whole life just with this boy, but I'm telling you, your circumstance is not off the table. So ask. Ask the Lord. Listen, asking the Lord is a lot more powerful than telling the Lord, by the way, because it positions you to submit to his compassion. And this is what he does. Lord, if you're compassionate, he was, listen, he wasn't like what we see, right, where you've got to say the right thing. That's what I love about this story so much. He's, he doesn't have the right words. He's not doing all the stuff that we learned at Bible college, how you're supposed to cast out demons. He's like, well, I don't really believe that much. Like, I kind of have unbelief. I, I kind of believe. And I, if you can, he's not say, he doesn't have the doctrine down. Beloved, it's not off the table. What you've, what you've been asking God for or the, what you stopped asking God for, 
is not off the table. Number two, believe the impossible. Anything is possible for he who believes. How much anything? All, all of it. The thing that you thought that God forgot about. The thing you think that God keeps remembering. <laughs> Come on. Because some of you are so full of shame, you won't ask God for anything. You won't believe for anything because you don't think you deserve anything. Yes must become our default when mentioning the impossible. Yes. Is it possible? Yes. But that's not how we function most of the time. We think it's impossible, therefore I'll go and I'll live my life without that circumstance being dealt with. I'll suffer. They've already prayed. The disciples already prayed. I guess it's not going to happen. I guess it's not the will of God. Yes must become our default when mentioning the impossible. Number three, position your trust. Listen, it's okay if you lack faith as long as you're willing to admit it. Hear me? I'm not rebuking you today. You probably don't have the faith you need to see the impossible happen. You probably don't. This guy didn't. But guess what happened? The impossible. It's okay if you lack the faith, if you're willing to admit it. Because that when you admit it, it puts you in the trust zone. The trust zone. And that's a good place to be. So I'm mowing my lawn in 2012. Y'all have heard this story. I'm mowing my lawn in 2012. I just told Leslie, I think God wants us to move to the Metroplex with no money, no church backing, nothing. We have nothing. God's calling us to Metroplex to start a church. What the heck are we going to do for money? I got two kids. Got another on the way. Dang it. I believe. I mean, I had some history with the Lord, but I have a lot of unbelief too. And that's where I need help. I'm mowing the lawn. And I pray this. Lord, I believe. Praying. Lord, I believe. I believe this is what you're calling us to. I believe that this is your assignment for our life. I believe. But you got to help my unbelief. So within a matter of about 30 days, our house sold in less than 24 hours. I got a job offer within a week. We had three prophetic words confirming what God said. What was God doing? He was helping my unbelief. Because at that moment, I started believing. So I'm mowing my grass one more time. The last time, the day before we pile up the U-Haul, and I'm mowing that grass so it looks good for the guy that's moving in. I don't leave it the worst. I'll leave it the best because that's what kings do. And I'm trying to be one. So I'm mowing the lawn, and I'm crying out to the Lord. I'm saying, God, I'm sorry for not trusting you. When I, when I told you to help my unbelief, and he spoke to me, and he said, son, that was the moment that you started trusting me. Because you weren't trusting God, Josh Brown's level of faith. You were vulnerable with your trust, and you placed it in me. And see, we had this lie that thinks that bold faith is being loud and overconfident. Listen, vulnerable trust, vulnerable trust is bold faith. This bold faith, when he goes, I believe, but I also unbelieve. Will you help? My unbelief, and when you ask him for help, you trusted that he's going to help you.
This is what prayer does. Ask. Believe the impossible. Position your trust. This is all the faith I've got, God. And he goes, that's all the faith you need. If you'll just put it in the right place, stop trusting yourself. Trust, stop trusting your skill set. Stop trusting whoever and just trust him with that little bit of faith you have. And number four is this, pray again. Will you stand with me? Pray again. Pray again. Pastor, I've prayed like 4,000 times for that. Pray again. Pray again. What would have happened if this man didn't pray again? He would have a demonized son running around. But he prayed again. But Lord, the disciples that you empowered, pray again. Let's pray again. Will you close your eyes all across this room?